Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. This evening, I want to talk with you guys about the big picture. Um, Sometimes we can be big picture people. We can be thinking about the big picture and that's really easy. Other times that can be really, really difficult. Um, Part of the, the thing is that we often lose sight of the big picture when things are difficult, when things are hard. Uh, Bob did a great job last week as he was, he was speaking. He talked about when he hits his hand with a hammer, how all of a sudden his entire world revolves around that one digit that just encountered the hammer. And how easy it is when things are painful, when things are hurt, when things go wrong, that we lose sight of the big picture and we focus on this one little part or one little aspect of our life. But the, we need to keep a big picture perspective. Um, where we look determines where we end up going. I've got a four-year-old, uh, or no, he's five now. He keeps growing. But I have a five-year-old, and throughout this, this time in quarantine, we got to go out and do some walking and some hiking, and, and we're working on riding a bike. And he did a, a, a long walk ride with us on his training wheels. And he was excited and wanted to take off his training wheels. And so we, we did it. And then we go to ride and he looked like a drunken sailor. We're like, all right, I want you to go over here. And he's like, look guys, I'm riding. And and I'm trying to catch him and keep him from crashing as he's excited to not be on training wheels. But he wouldn't stay looking ahead. And so he wouldn't stay going ahead. But wherever he would look, when he tried to tell his brother or me or look that I'm doing it, he would jerk his wheel and he would veer off to one side and to the other. And so often that's where we find ourselves not on the the new bike without training wheels, but looking to the left, looking to the right, and losing sight of where we're going. Um, When it's so easy in life to get caught in just um, eat, sleep, work, go home, eat, put kids to bed, sleep, work, repeat. And where you just get into a cycle of this is just what each day is. This is what Monday looks like. This is what a Wednesday looks like. This is what a Saturday looks like. And you have your, your different routines for different days and you just kind of roll through them. And I talk to different people and as they've, they've had a lot of that messed up. Some of them have found new great rhythm and have been very intentional and they're, they're making the most of their time at home and their family time. And I talk to others and they are viewing everything that Netflix has to offer and they have, time has just happened to them. But this is what the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Uh, The ESV says it this way. It says the people cast off restraint. When you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter what way you go. And I, I have to confess, I've actually done this driving where we're going somewhere as a family and my wife knows where we're going. And so we all hop in the car and we go to take off and she's putting in the address in her phone and trying to get directions, but it's like connecting to the house's Wi-Fi, but we're in the gr- driveway. And so it's, it's like losing connection, but it's still trying. So it doesn't want to work. And I may not always be the most patient individual in the world. And so I get to the end of the driveway. I'm like, all right, and your phone still isn't telling us what to do. 
And on more than one occasion, I have guessed and just been like, well, 95% of things that we go to, we turn left out of the driveway. So I'm going to turn left. We're going to get far enough away from the Wi-Fi that her phone should pick up and then we'll figure out where we're going. And I turn and I get moving and then she tells me, hey, you're, you're going the wrong way. It's actually this direction. And I'm like, ah, oh, crud. But when you don't know where you're going, you don't know if you're making a right turn. You don't know. And a lot of times we lose sight of where we're going. Most of us have an idea of, hey, someday this is kind of where I want to go. Hey, I want to be right with God. Hey, I want to go to heaven. I, I want to live for him. But if we lose sight of what's coming, we can lose hope and we can lose direction and we can lose self-restraint because if you don't have a destination, it doesn't matter what way you turn. And that's where so many people live their life. They live in this state of hopelessness because without a destination, without an end in mind, without a future that you're looking forward to, you have no hope. And if you have no hope, hope brings perseverance. Hope destroys. Hopelessness destroys our drive. Uh, hopeless, without hope, things are depressing. And, and so often that's where people live their life. But Matthew 6, we just went over Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus tells them, he goes, your hope should be in heaven. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He goes, where you put your hope, where you put your treasure, he goes, it's going to determine what shakes you. And this world will be shaken. And nobody needs to tell us that right now as so much, most of us a month ago, two months ago, we would not have believed it if you told us what's going on right now. We'd have looked and said, there's no way that they're going to shut down all these businesses, that they're going to make us all stay home, that they're going to, there's no way on God's green earth that that's going to happen here. But here we are. But Jesus told us, don't put your trust there. He goes, you put your treasure in heaven, put your treasure there. When you begin to look, set your eyes and go, this is what matters to me. My treasure is going to be there and I'm going to live for this. He goes, it'll change how you live and it will change what can shake you. He says, here, Things can fall apart. Things can, there's thieves, there's rust, there's just things decay. But he goes, things don't decay there. Um, I, I used to do a lot of tree climbing. And one of the things that I learned was that rotten, dead looking branches don't make you fall. Good looking branches that are weak and rotten make you fall. See, because when you're in a tree and you're climbing, and you're going from branch to branch. My friends and I as kids used to play tree tag. And so we would literally be bouncing around the tree. And, and so some of these were, were fast moves where you just see a branch and you just jump so that you wouldn't get tagged. But the, the thing is, if, if you look at it and you go, it's dead, you don't jump on it. You don't put all your weight on it. When you get to it, you, you look around and you find a branch that looks solid and you, you grab onto something solid and then you kick it and you, you step on it. And if it breaks, you go, ah, oh, I thought so. And you're okay. The problem is when you're jumping through the tree and you're climbing and all of a sudden you're like, I'm good. And you jump onto this branch and then you hear the crack and you're like, oh no, I have put all of my hope and all of my trust in this branch and it is not going to hold. And, and that's when you're in trouble. And when we place our trust 
What we place our trust in determines what can shake us. And Jesus tells us, you need to put your trust, you need to put your hope in heaven. And when we do, then we become secure. Then these things stop um, shaking us. But most Americans set our hope on today. We live in a great country and we have it really, really good. I've gotten to travel the world and there are so many wonderful things that we have that we forget about. We take for granted that you can flush toilet paper. I went on a mission trip and we got to, to another country and they're like, hey, you're, you know, we're really excited where we're at. We're gonna stay at a nice hotel and they have toilet paper. And you're like, that, that's a thing? Like, that's a, that's a question? Like, we just kind of took this for granted. They're like, don't flush the toilet paper. You're like, what? Why? And they're like, well, it's, their system's not made to handle it. And if you, you flush it, it, things will come back to you that you didn't want to see again. Like, okay, okay, so don't flush toilet paper. And, and when you have a bunch of guys in a room, that, that gets, gets, gets bad. Um, but there's a lot that we have, that we take for granted. But the, it's so good. It's so easy to put your hope to put your focus on today and to just go, oh, but this is going to be good. And you look forward to some time that you're going to be hanging out with friends and different things that are happening. But when we set our hope on today, then things are easily shaken. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, he says this. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And I read that and and it, honestly, I don't know if you ever read your Bible and think that you disagree with it. You're like, that, how, how does he say that? I'm like, Christianity is amazing. I love it. And, and God's principles are so good. And when I apply God's principles, they work. And yes, I'm excited for the future. But as I was reading it, I'm like, what do you mean if I, my hope is only in this life I failed because I think that even if I was to die and that was the end, that I've been blessed and I have a better marriage and I have, I have good relationships because I've applied God's word. But he looks and he says, no, no, no. He goes, he doesn't deny that God's principles are amazing and that we can build our life on God's word. But he says that if in this life only we have hope, we are to be pitied. And I looked and I realized that for most Christians, their Christianity is so focused, their whole life is so focused on today and on this moment that he would say they are to be pitied because they are missing out on where we should be focused, on a focus that should be guiding and directing our life. Um, Paul, he, he, he goes through stuff and he doesn't look at, look at it and deny it. He doesn't go, oh, you know what? My life is just perfect. And, and by God's promises, everything is wonderful. He looks and he, he writes to people from jail and he's like, oh, I'm in jail. And, and, he, and he, he acknowledges it. In fact, in Philippians, he says this, he goes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He looks and he acknowledges where he is he acknowledges what's against him. He acknowledges that, that he literally may be killed. But to him, it was not, oh, woe is me. He looks and goes, oh, that's okay. Death isn't the end. He goes, man, for me to, he goes, to live, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. He goes, it would be even better. I know what's waiting for me. 
And when I know what's waiting for me, nothing that happens here has the ability to rob that from me. And so it's not that everything has this magic wand that says everything is perfect because you're a Christian, but he goes, but nothing can shake me. Sure, some branches are dead, but I have a hold of something that will never be shaken because death is not the end. This life isn't all that I have. Jesus said that he comes to bring life. He comes to bring eternal life. The enemy comes to kill, to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come to bring life and life abundantly. And he states that life, and it changes things. I read a story about a, a Roman named um, Adrian. Adrian, he, he was a, a Roman officer and he, he was brave, he was strong, he was courageous, and he began to earn a name for himself. He earned a name in battle as he stood up strong and then he actually got assigned to, to persecute and to execute Christians and, and he did all that he did with great fervor and he just had this massive respect for courage and for bravery. And as, as he's going, he watched the Christians and he was blown away because he'd, he'd seen great bravery in battle and he'd seen all these different things, but the Christians were different. He goes, they, we take them and we threaten them and we beat them and we kill them and it doesn't shake them. He goes, they, they even at death, they have hope. Even at death, they're, they're brave and they're courageous and they're looking forward to something. He goes, how, how is this? And he, he says he turned to someone that he arrested, that he was bringing on trial, this, this group of Christians that he'd, that he'd gathered to be, to be executed. And he asked them, he goes, what gives you such strength and joy in your suffering? He saw that there was suffering. He saw that things weren't perfect, but he goes, but you still have joy. And the person responded, um, our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we believe. And Adrian looked at them and he saw the hope that they had. And he went to the front of the group and he went before the judge and he says, put my name on that list. And he declared his faith in the Lord. He said, what they have is something that I need. He said, what they have, what they're living for is so much greater than anything else that I've ever seen. I need that hope. And he dove into it, acknowledging that it was going to cost him everything that this world had to offer. But he said, no, if I put my hope there, they have something I don't have. That when we set our eyes on this, then the things that the world has no longer have the power to shake us. And this isn't a a random thought. This was like so central to the church. In Hebrews chapter six, it lays out some of the foundational doctrine and it, and it refers to the resurrection of the dead. It talks about our future hope with God for eternity as foundation. It goes, this is part of the basics of Christianity. And, and over and over again, our Bible teaches this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four, Verse 18, Paul says this. He says, to encourage one another with these words. And I looked, I'm like, okay, I wanna encourage one another with, with what words? In, in verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
Um, it goes on, it says that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel. With the sound of a trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Um, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And he looks and he goes, Jesus is coming back. Our hope is not in that everything is perfect right now. He goes, our hope is in him. He is coming. Set your eyes there. And when you do, it will encourage you. When you do, you become, you're on a rock that is no longer shaken. Storms may come, but just because a storm comes, just because a quarantine comes, just because our economy is, is rocked, just because there are people that are sick, he goes, our hope is beyond this life. Nothing can take it. He goes, encourage one another. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, it says, Brothers, we must talk to you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being to get gathered together to meet him. In, in first, um, over and over, it, it, it mentions it. Jesus taught that he was coming back. He tells his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Over and over, Jesus states this, that, that he is coming back. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up treasure in heaven. He says that, that our hope for the future is meant to affect the way that we live. That when we know that there is more to this life, that it brings hope, that it brings courage, that it allows us to reach out to the people that are around us and to show them God's love. And it's this powerful freedom when we know where we're going that brings hope that brings peace. Do you know where you're going? Are you looking at the big picture? Because the big picture is bigger than your life. It's bigger than here and now. I have, I have talked to so many people. I have, I have done funerals for people who were, obviously if they were suicidal and at the funeral, they, they died but they died because of real problems that were temporary and they took a permanent solution because their eyes lost sight of the prize. Their eyes lost sight of where they were going. And so this thing that was real became overwhelming. This thing that was going to pass in a short period, was, it was going to end, but they ended everything because they lost sight of the big picture. Don't lose sight of where we're going. Don't let your focus get so filled by the fear that the media is selling that you lose sight that our hope is greater than this life, that Jesus is going to return, that all of us will either die if, if Jesus doesn't come back and take us before then, but we're going to spend forever with him. And when we do, when we set our mind on this, it changes how we live. Jim Elliott said it this way. He said, he is no fool he, who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he said, what I'm living for isn't today. He goes, no matter what this life, what it costs me in this life, 
He goes, I will live for something greater. Jesus talks and, and he says this. He says that one day he's going to return. And this is what it'll be like. He goes, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to divide them. And when he, he divides them, he's going to look to the, to the ones on the right and he's going to say, well done. And, and he's going to go through and says that, that when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was cold, you, you covered me. When I was uh, alone, you visited me. And he, he goes through all of these different things as he lists them. And they look at him and he says, well done. And then he says that they're going to enter into, um, come on. Sorry, it's verse 34. Come, you who are blessed, my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he turns to others and says that when I was hungry, you left me hungry. When I was alone, you turned your back on me. When I was cold, you walked away. And he goes through and he lists this, this, this line of things and they go, God, when did we ever see you like this? And he goes and says, um, as you did to the least of these. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And he, and he states that all of us are headed into eternity. That life is not the end for anybody. But this, in this life, we determine where we're going to end up for eternity. He says that, that those who've called on him, those that find their name written in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation chapter, um, chapter 20, goes through and says that they're going to find, um, that they're going to spend eternity with him. But those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be cast out. And here it says that they're going to go into hell that was not prepared for man. It says that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. And a lot of times we have this twisted and misconceived idea of what heaven is going to be like. We think of heaven and we think of like a cloud and a harp and a robe. And we're, we're there and a lot of, for most of us, we're like, do, do I have to think about that? I've heard of pastors looking and going, you know, when I die, I suppose I'll enter eternal bliss, but let's, let's not talk about that. That's, that's just depressing. I think you have the wrong picture of heaven. If you think it's depressing, if you think it's boring, you don't understand what's ahead of us. What's ahead of us is so amazing. And it, and it strikes me as odd that we would think of heaven as boring and this spiritual, unphysical place. And we think of the Garden of Eden as this beautiful, lush, wonderful place. But Revelation chapter 21 says that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that that new heaven is going to come down to earth and God will be with man and man with God. He will be their God and they will be his people. And three or four times in these, these first few verses, it states that God, it emphasizes the relationship and the connection between God and man. And it puts it on a new earth. On a new earth with mountains, rivers, streams, animals, and it's going to be amazing. I mean, think of, think of the most beautiful vacation spot that you could imagine. Whether you think Hawaii, you think tropics, or you think uh, Swiss Alps, or you think these beautiful mountains, God 
is the one who created the earth in the first place. He created it for man to have dominion and to rule and reign with him. And God has not given up on this. God said that, that we can rule and reign with him, that he has these good things for us. You can find that in Revelation 22, three and five and 2 Tim, Timothy 2, 12, that God wants us to rule and reign with him. And it's gonna be amazing. But a lot of times people have pushed it off and they said, no, no, I, it, it's gonna be this. And they, they, they just think of it as a cloud. And they're like, oh, I, I'd rather go to hell. And they picture hell as a party with an orange glow. And I don't know where, like, I got that image. Maybe it was from watching plays when I was a kid where they have a, uh, a church play and they depict hell and they turn the lights orange and, and you have all the sinners that are there. And so they, they, there are all these people who committed sin and you, you, you see them and there's this idea that they would all be together and it would be fun. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that there's going to go to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he separates these two. And he separates and he goes, no, no, no. You're going to be for eternity. Use this life to set it up. And he, and he lays it out. And he says to live for it, to store up treasure in heaven. He says that how we treat other people matters. How we live today matters. Not because you could be good enough to earn your way to heaven, but because you can store up treasure. In fact, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short. Whether that's a little bit, whether that's a lot of bit, he says that all of us have sinned and fallen short. And I, I look at that and go, well, that's not very encouraging. But the Bible says that the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. He said that in this life, you could never be good enough because if, if, if you sin, you've, you, you've sinned, you've, you've fallen short. And a lot of times we want to picture it like a set of scales that go, oh, if, if I'm really good, then, then it's going to slide me to heaven. And if I'm really bad, it's going to slide me this way towards hell. But he goes, it's not a tipping scales. It's like a jump between cliffs. If you're short, it doesn't matter how short you are, you missed. But the Bible says that Jesus came and that Jesus lived a sinless life and he lived that life to pay the price for you and I. He lived that life so that we could have a relationship with him. He lived, he, he lived that life and he died and rose again to pay the price for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could be forgiven. And we can we can live with hope. We can live with strength because of it. We can know that when he comes back, when he separates the sheep from the goats, we can know what side we're going to be on. Because some have thought, you know, I'll wait, I'll wait until then. And when, when he comes, then, then I'll get it right. Then I'll sit here and say, okay, God, I believe in you and every knee will bow and I'll bow then and I'll be okay. But Jesus again and again, he tells us that this life is meant for us to get it right before we go to heaven. He goes and he says that parable after parable, he, he, he talks and he says that, hey, these were waiting for him. And he tells a parable about the 10 virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom and five of them were ready and five of them weren't. The five who weren't, they, they, they knew who he was. They knew he was coming, but they weren't living ready. And when he came, they weren't ready 
And after he came, they said, now we want to get ready. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. That's a scary thought. And he sits here and he says, no, you need to get ready now. That once he comes, it's too late. Pastor covered it two weeks ago. And that we have, that Jesus came and he died for us. That without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. He shed his blood for us when his body was broken. And we have, while we are in a physical body, to respond to that. And I want to encourage you that if you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you've declared him to be the Lord of your life, that you take hope and you take courage and you take strength as you set your eyes on him because this life is not all that there is. Our life, our reward is so much greater and this life is but a fraction of what's coming. But if you're here, if you're watching from wherever you are and you say, you know what? If he was, Jesus was to come back and he was to separate the sheep from the goats, I don't know where I'd be. I've been waiting to get my life right because I wanted to, to have some fun, because I wanted to this, because I, I was distracted by some of these fun things that, that life has to offer. Whatever your reason, if you don't know that you're right with God, you can end tonight knowing that you're right with God. You can end tonight full of hope and courage because this life isn't the end and God made an invitation for you. He made a way and then he invited you. It says that he stands at the door of your heart knocking and saying, will you have relationship with me? Will you receive the forgiveness that I paid the price to give you? And I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. Today, if you wanna call on his name, I'm gonna say a simple prayer and I'm gonna ask you to respond, to join me and to pray with me from your living room, from your couch, car, wherever it is that you are right now. Say, God, thank you for loving me, for forgiving me when I make mistakes. I believe that you died and rose again. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.